James chapter 2, and if you're visiting with us this morning, we've been in a series in the book of James, and we're at chapter 2, and I'm going to read to you verses 18 through 26, and this is really what I see as the core message of James, which was last week and this week in terms of the relationship between faith and works. It's a key thing to the uh, a key thing to communicate, and James goes to great lengths to point out that faith actually does something, and we'll look at that and explore that together. So James chapter two, I'll start reading in verse eighteen, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. But someone will say, "You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works." And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we pray that you would guide us and lead us through the truth and the nuances of this passage that we as your people might rightly reflect what true faith is and how Christians ought to live by faith and live centered on the wonderful gospel message we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Last year, police caught up with a man in L.A. County who was a physician, or at least he was pretending to be a physician. And not only did he wear the lab coat and all this and kind of the easy stuff, maybe a stethoscope around his neck, he had bought a clinic, opened a clinic, and had seen over the years, get ready, not hundreds of patients, thousands of patients. He had given them medical advice, they had been under his treatment, and yet... He had received no training. He was not a real doctor. And the L.A. County D.A. said, noting how serious this issue is, noting that, quote, criminal activity like this can cause irreparable harm to the health of unsuspecting people, some with serious illnesses who believed They were under the care of a licensed physician. I mean, can you imagine that for a moment? You are sick, you have some kind of chronic illness, and you go thinking you are seeing a real doctor. 
but he turns out to be a fake and a fraud. And this case is still working it, its way through the court system. But can you imagine for a moment what kind of physical harm that might cause a person? Think for a moment the severe and even more serious spiritual harm that might happen to a person who says they are a Christian or deceives themselves, thinks they are a Christian, and in point of fact, they are not. To masquerade as a doctor, as serious as that offense is, there are eternal repercussions if a person thinks they are a Christian and they are not. And certainly that was a struggle back in the day. That's why James must have written this passage. He wanted them to be able to delineate between true faith and false faith. And what it comes down to is the relationship between faith and works. And the great and grand question does works flow from and emanate from this heart-transforming faith that a person has? That's an important question. When you live in the Bible Belt, is someone's faith real? Eternity hangs in the balance, and much spiritual harm can happen if faith is not real, true, and genuine. And so James sets before us here the fact that faith and works are inseparable from each other, and we'll explore that relationship uh, together now. So the first point I want to make is that faith apart from easy believism, easy believism, and we're going to see this in verses 18 and 19. First, some of the context back in Verse 17, James says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, faith, someone just claiming faith with no Christian works flowing from that faith, is dead. Our faith should push us to the expression of that faith in the works, in the things that God has called us to. To do Now look at verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James draws up an imaginary argument here to prove his point, and you'll see several questions asked. You'll see examples used. You have faith, I have works. And then James replies this way in verse 18, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And what he's saying here is the reality that faith is an abstract concept. It is intangible. I mean, think about it for a moment. We express faith. This incidentally marks a person as a Christian to believe, to rest on, and to trust what God has done and the provision He's made for us in Christ and Christ's atoning work that reconciles us to God, paying the penalty for our sins. I've just rehearsed there for you really the content of Christianity and the gospel. And having a heart that's transformed, we live instead of for ourselves, for God. And James takes a shot here at what we might say easy believism, which is just to claim something. 
to claim that we're a Christian when in point of fact, what I just rehearsed for you is not the content of our belief. And so he says that he is able to demonstrate in verse 18, the intangible, abstract reality of faith. How does he do this? By his works, by how he lives. How do you know someone is really a Christian? Not by what they claim, but by how they live. And in verse 19, James drives this point home using a very unusual example here. Verse 19, you believe that God is one you do well. Now, what James is saying here is he's recalling what's called in Hebrew the Shema. In other words, back in Deuteronomy 6.4, you have this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And the Hebrew word for here is Shema. And what James is doing here, he's pointing out this is the easiest, most fundamental theological proposition that God is one. He is in, this is in contrast to the polytheism of the day. And so there in Deuteronomy 6.4, you have the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's the most basic entry point and fundamental principle about, theological principle about God, that he is, that he is one. And what James does here is he says, You've checked that box. If you claim to believe that God is one, you have checked that box. In other words, if you believe God exists, if you believe God exists. Now, I know we live in, you know, Texas and drive friendly the Texas way. And the reality is if you have a spiritual conversation with someone, they may perceive that you're rude if you really questioned, if you really said, hey, be real with me for a moment. You can even say it in Texan. Shoot straight with me for a moment. Are you a Christian? If you were to ask somebody that question, most likely you're going to get an affirmative answer. Yes, of course I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. I believe in God they might say. And what James is saying here, if that is the content of your faith, you and the demons have something in common. That's a conversation ender, isn't it? <laughs> Verse 19, even the demons believe, he says, and shudder. And what he's getting at here is in, as far as theological propositions and truth goes, even the demons are checking that God is one box, that God exists. So if you think you are really achieving something, saying, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. Well, the demons believe that way, but they do one better. What do they do? They do one better. Look at the end of that verse, and shudder. In other words, the demons... Spiritually fallen angels respond, they do something regarding this foundational theological principle. And if you believe that God exists and you're not shuddering, the demons have you beat. 
Now, this shuddering, of course, is a non-redemptive response to who God is. It's a non-redemptive response to who God is. Of course, we should fear God. Think of that Old Testament principle. But the fear of God is to be in awe and reverence and to give Him the due glory because of who He is. And so, that's not this type of fear. This is the afraid type of fear. And the demons believe that God is one, that He exists, and they shudder. They achieve a work so to speak, based on what they believe. So if what you believe doesn't move you to action, you need to question what you're really believing in. You need to question what you are really believing in. Because a person may say, of course I'm a Christian, I believe God exists. I believe in God. Wonderful, but that is not enough content. The gospel is more than that. The gospel speaks to us having a sin problem, God providing a Savior. So if a person were to say, I'm a Christian, I believe God exists, our next response should be, well, tell me more about that. We should invite that kind of conversation to have this spiritual conversation because eternity matters and we can ask them about the content of their faith, and then to see if the content of their faith lines up with belief in a God who saves, sin, atonement, Jesus Christ, and whether or not they have responded in faith to God. Sometimes not only does a theological principle act as a substitute for true Christianity, but sometimes our emotions can function as a substitute to Christianity. And what do I mean by that? People can have all manner of emotional responses to the truth of the gospel, but it may still not be redemptive. God made us as emotional beings, and it can be confusing if the emotions are driving in the driver's seat versus the truth. And just to give you an example here of how powerful our emotions are, and how confusing they could be. I came across a website that cataloged the 10 most tearjerker videos on the internet. Grab your Kleenex. 10 10 most emotional videos on the internet. Oh, it kind of starts off, you know, the low-hanging fruit, the kid, the, the little toddler sitting on the parent's lap, and, and the kid gets his first pair of glasses, and he has really poor vision. I'm not sure what's wrong with his eyes, but he sees his mom for the first time clearly, and his face lights up, and she's talking with him, and he puts two and two together. And then there's the family that goes to see their soldier Back from deployment in Afghanistan, beautiful golden retriever dog. And the dog sees its owner and just cries and cries and cries and sits at the feet of the... I told you to get some Kleenex. (laughs) You know, here I am. I'm just telling you about this. And you see how emotions, even powerful emotions, can 
masquerade as real, true experiences. And then there's the young woman, deaf, can't hear, gets cochlear implants, and they turn them on and they video her response. She hears for the first time. And she's crying and breaks down. And then there's the video you're going to see this summer. Here's my prediction because we have the Olympics this summer. Uh, back in 1992 in Barcelona, you might remember this, the British uh, uh, sprinter, Derek Redman, going around the, I guess, the second turn in the 400-meter dash, and he tears his hamstring, and he just goes down on the track. Do you remember this? And his dad comes down from the stands and helps him limp to the finish line. Oh, you're going to see that this summer because his dad passed away uh, last year. But I tell you those to say, you know, we all, you just hear that. You can check your pulse if you don't have an emotional response to any of those stories. You may need some help. But I tell you those to say faith is not the same as an emotional response. There must be substance under that faith, namely the truth about my sin problem, your sin problem, who God is, and what he did to rectify our problem. So faith apart must be apart from easy believism. It's more than I believe in God. It's definitely more than I'm a cowboy fan. It's more than I'm from Texas or I'm American. This faith has to be grounded not in an emotional experience, but something richer, fuller, deeper, namely the good news of the gospel. So faith apart from easy believism. James is working this out. Then he moves to the second point here, faith apart from works is useless. And this is in verses 20 through 23. And the reason why I use that word useless, it's the translation of the last word in verse 20. James writes, you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. And literally it reads, faith that doesn't work. Faith that doesn't work. And he gives an illustration here in verse 21. So he's used the example of a demon. Now he uses the example of Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And we have to parse this out because we are a church that grounds its doctrine in the Reformation, which was the rediscovery in the 15th and 16th century of biblical doctrine. And one of the hallmarks of that rediscovery is saying that a person is justified, made right by faith alone. And so we would ask the question, well, is James disagreeing with this? Is he going against the Apostle Paul, what Paul writes in Romans 3 and Romans 6, that justification is by faith alone. We have to work this out because, of course, we believe that the Bible doesn't contradict itself and that James would not contradict what Paul has written. So what is he communicating here when he says, you see that uh, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he was offered up 
offered up his son Isaac on the altar. What's being communicated there is that the works are evidence of the faith that Abraham had. Abraham had faith in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, 6, and you heard this read earlier in our worship service, in Genesis 15, 6, we read that it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. That is his faith. But his faith finds full expression in the work that happens in Genesis 22. And what happens in Genesis 22 is he offers up his son Isaac to the Lord, but the Lord stops him. And we read there in Genesis 22, starting in verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they both so they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, here's the faith. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. We skip down to verse 10 in Genesis 22. Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. God provides the ram. So Abraham was laying it on the line. God had promised that his descendants would outnumber the stars. And here he lays his only descendant on the altar as an expression of faith, and God provides the sacrifice. And so it was promised to Abraham, and he believed in Genesis 15, 6, and it was worked out and exemplified flowing from this belief and faith that Abraham had in the action that Abraham took there in Genesis 22. And it shows the relationship between faith and works as far as the works authenticating and flowing from, equipped from, strengthened by the faith that we all have and the willingness to sacrifice his son. Yes, it was based on a trust that Abraham had, that God would keep his promises. And as we think about this and how it applies, we have to consider that we too believe promises and we believe doctrine regarding the, do the gospel. If you're a Christian, you believe this. But it requires us to act in ways that authenticate the things that we believe. This is just a call to say, if you say you're a Christian, if you go by this label, that you believe and live like it. That God equips us this way. So back to our passage there in James chapter 2, we see in verse 22, the interpretation is put this way. You see that faith was active 
along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And then James draws a conclusion there surrounding Abraham and the activity and the trust and the faith fueled his work, his trust, his belief in a God who could provide another heir if it came to that. If you think about it for a moment, if we pulled up a bicycle here in the parking lot, pulled up a bicycle, not a fancy bicycle, just a regular bicycle, you could probably jump on that bike and ride it to the end of the parking lot. And especially if you're younger and you make a regular habit of riding your bike around the neighborhood, you could probably jump on that bike and ride to the end of the parking lot, no problem. It is a skill that you have. And those of us who maybe haven't ridden a bike in a while, what would that, what would that look like? Well, we'd hop on the bike and maybe it'd be a little, little janky there, a little shaky, but then what would happen? Don't try this at home. Hopefully, <laughs> that skill would come back to us. I mean, think about it for a moment. How much is, really goes into riding a bike and the balance and the coordination and everything that goes into it, it would come back to you even if it's been decades since you have ridden a bike. It would come back to you. And likewise, with our activity as Christians in the way we live. Living by faith is something you learn and you can always go back and it drives you forward in the Christian life with behavior that is not centered on us but is God-centered. As we obey God and see our entire purpose as giving Him glory. We could ride that bike again. And as Christians, the call for us, and as you think about 2024 being an election year, you cannot, as a Christian, call time out and then go crazy in 2024 and then sort of pick it back up again in 2025 and live a normal life. No, we're called to something better as Christians, that this faith that we have would be something we apply in all our interactions and whatever goes on today, this week, and the rest of our lives. As Christians, we've got to go back to think through yet again, as we would maybe coach each other there out on the parking lot. We might coach each other and say, hey, you need to, you need to start this way with the pedal all the way up. You need to hold the handlebars steady. We need to call out and encourage each other as we continue in the faith, applying and living the things that we know. Christians have to go back, look at God's word again, look at the truth. How about Christians thinking critically and not just accepting what we see on TV, what we hear reported? How about asking the question, who benefits if I believe this? And what does that mean in my faith? And how should I respond? And what are the best ways to respond to whatever's going on in our world? This is our calling as Christians. 
as we live out our faith and actually do things. And so what I've shown you so far, faith apart from easy believism, faith apart from works doesn't work, it's useless. And then now we get the conclusion that James draws, namely that faith apart from works is dead. That someone can say they're a Christian all they want, but they can be spiritually dead is a scary reality. We pick this up in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In other words, the faith always has the works accompanying it as evidence that the faith is true and genuine. Now James uses another example, verse 25. In this example, Rahab couldn't be any more different than the example that went before Abraham. Verse 25, and in the same way also, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? I mean, think about what James has just accomplished here. He picks the Jew par excellence in Abraham, a male. Now he flips the script and goes with Rahab, a Gentile woman who's a prostitute. And what he's communicating here is this kind of faith that we have in Christianity is for everyone. It is for anyone, whosoever would come. Doesn't matter your ethnicity. Doesn't matter your sin background. Whosoever would believe. And so he picks Rahab here, and in Joshua chapter 2, we meet Rahab and we understand what's going on here. She shields the spies who come to spy out the land, sends them out in another way. She expresses kindness to them as part of her faith, and she's commended later in Hebrews eleven thirty-one. She is the real deal, no matter her background, no matter her ethnicity, because of how do we know she's the real deal? Because of how she acts, what she does, her works. You know, we deal with a lot of online security stuff, and we don't even think about it anymore. If you log into your financial account, what do you have? Two-step verification, right? My contention is that was invented in Texas because we, we have the two-step. So two-step verification, you know how it goes. You enter your login, your password, and then what, what happens? Oh, they got to text you. And they always tell you, don't ever tell anybody this code. And you enter in the code, and then you can access your account. It's a two-step verification. Why don't we have that? two-step verification? Why don't we in Christianity, when someone says they're a Christian, it's okay to say, well, what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And to hear what they say in response. What's that mean to you? You say you're a Christian. What's that mean? Well, I was just, I'm, I'm, I was raised a Christian. I, I'm always in the church. Great. But what are you believing in? And then how are you living related to what you say you believe? 
Well, in point of fact, I don't, I, I don't live any differently. Uh-oh. Now you know what you're dealing with. Because if Christianity doesn't make an appreciable difference in your works or how you live, you've got to go back because something's wrong with the faith. And again, eternity is what is at stake. And so James tells us, verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Well, what's the diagnostic? How do we know? What kind of works should a person do who is really in the faith? Well, we've all seen it if you've participated at all in this James series. Go back to James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. If we lack wisdom, verse 5, let him ask of God. These are the works that Christians do. Verse 11, we remain steadfast under trial. We don't blame God. Verse 13, if we're being tempted, we fight our sinful desires. Verse 15, James chapter 1, we receive, verse 17, we receive every good gift as if it comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. How do Christians live? Uh-oh, James 1.19. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Verse 26, or excuse me, verse 27. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Keep oneself unstained from the world. How do Christians live? What kinds of works do they do? Chapter 2, verse 1, show no partiality. Chapter 2, verse 8, fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Show mercy towards others, verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so we see that James has led us here to the core of of his message with an explanation, an exposition of what we're called to as believers in Christ. James has rehearsed the kinds of behavior that flow from faith that we might know and that true faith might be evidenced, not just by what we say or what we claim or what we feel, but how we live, the works that we do. Let's pray together. God, indeed, this is convicting and humbling, and so we pray that we would be able to verify that which we believe by actually living out the truth of the gospel message and being moved by its power and the beauty of what it means to be saved to live for you and to give you glory in all that we do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.